Alright, so we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to notice what it says in verse 23. It says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. So why should we avoid foolish and unlearned questions? So we don't get involved in strife. Unnecessary strife. That And unfoolish and unlearned questions, they do. They cause strife. And it says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. And this entire chapter of 2 Timothy 2, it is all about preserving good doctrine. That's what uh, We've talked a lot about that before. There's always going to be false prophets out there. There's always going to be people, too, who are just in error. And they might be decent people, but they are in error. And error in doctrine, it does have consequences. And that's why it's so important that we try to get things right. And every one of us should have that desire to be as right as possible with the Bible. But because we are flesh, one thing that is very easy for us to do because of our flesh is for us to get sucked into foolish arguments because that's just our carnal nature. You know, we like to fight about stuff, don't we? Proof is, you know, I think most of your parent, parents would agree that your kids, you know, they all love each other, but don't they all want to kill each other all the time too? Don't they all want to fight all the time too? Does anybody's kids get along all the time? They never fight or are we just doing something wrong? All right, but now, you, you know, what, now, why do they fight so much? How can children who are of the same flesh and blood, who love each other, fight so much. You know why? Because they're carnal. It's the flesh. We fight with each other and we can typically, and typically the fights that kids have are over really dumb things. If you actually sat down and like talked about and what they're fighting over, I mean, it is really dumb. Some of the arguments kids have, and I'm not going to start confessing my kids' sins or anything because I wouldn't want my dad coming here confessing any of my sins, but you know, it is, it's, it's pretty foolish. And let me tell you something, just because we're adults, just because we're Christians, doesn't mean we don't get the same way spiritually sometimes. Sometimes Christian brothers and sisters fight over dumb stuff. Really dumb stuff. It's an easy thing for us to do. And so in this message, we're going to be talking about identifying foolish and unlearned questions. Because um, that's one of the things that will help us preserve good doctrine. If we, can, if we, we do need to avoid stuff like that. We do want to avoid unnecessary strife and there is such a thing as a stupid question or an or an unlearned question one that's a question that comes from ignorance and therefore you know there's some questions that shouldn't need to be asked and when somebody asks a question that shouldn't even be asked a lot of times you know it's not worthy of an answer in fact it's one that you should actually try to avoid you need to try to move on and talk about something else because this is only going to cause strife or a yes or no answer will probably even bring confusion. Sometimes, too, when some, people can ask a bad question where if you give them a yes or no answer, it can actually mislead them, too. And we'll see some examples of that. And so uh, there's no way I could make an exhaustive list of foolish questions and, or unlearned questions. So what I want to do today, I'm going to take common foolish and unlearned questions that come my way or in our way you know, because of what we believe, because of our doctrine, there's 
you know, typical things that get thrown at us and that come our way that other religions probably don't deal with as much. And so, um, but what I want to do as we talk about these foolish and unlearned questions that come our way, I want to show you why they are foolish and unlearned. I'm not necessarily going to answer these foolish questions because that would kind of fly in the face of what we're talking about. But hopefully um, you'll understand why these are bad questions and it's not that and, and it's not that we're scared. I mean, folks, do you think I'm scared to answer questions? All right. I'm, I, I got to hold myself back trying not to respond to everything that's out there. I naturally want to respond to everything. But the, but the reality is, though, there are some questions we, we should avoid. And it's not because we're wrong. It's because it's a foolish question. We're not going to accomplish anything. And we're probably only going to cause confusion and contention. So, because uh, I, I want to get to the root of a problem. You know, whenever there's a doctrinal debate or something, I want to get to the, where the real disagreement is. And I want to talk about that. And typically, too, these questions we're going to bring up don't in any way get to the real root of the problems and the issues that people are probably wanting to talk about. So when it comes to knowing when to answer questions, knowledge is important, but wisdom is also important too. And that's why we see in Proverbs 26 and 4 and 5, it says seemingly two contradictory things where it says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So we've got to have the wisdom to know when we hear a dumb question, we've got to have the wisdom to know, all right, is this a time where I just need to walk away? Or is this a time where I do need to respond? And there's, there's not always a, it's, it's not always a clear cut list of questions or anything like that. You got to have wisdom. You got to understand the situation, who you're talking to. And so, um, that's a very important part of this. So the first question I want to bring up, because this one comes up a lot, and I, I get asked about this a lot, and I hate when people ask me this because it is a dumb question, but people will ask, and it is a dumb question, and that is, can someone get saved without calling on the Lord? Okay, now, y'all were trying to get me to preach my message before you know, talking about this, but uh, I, I do, do want to save some of this for what I was going to talk about in the message, but can someone get saved without calling on the Lord? What's your position on that, Brother Tommy? Do you think somebody has to call on the Lord to be saved? Are you saying that, you know, they have to verbally say something? Or are you denying Romans chapter 10 and saying that people don't have to call on the Lord? And let's go ahead and go to Romans 10, because everybody goes to Romans 10 for this, in chapter 9, or chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, first off, is this passage a requirement or a promise? Is this a requirement of a... Is Paul demanding a vocal exercise from the mouth take place? Or... Is he guaranteeing people who have called on the Lord will be saved? Is this a command or is it a promise? I believe this is clearly a promise. And so here's the thing. If Paul is making a promise that whosoever will call on the Lord shall be saved. And, this, and Paul is in reality 
quoting Old Testament here, and I, and I wish I had time to get into the significance of that too, because it helps prove a lot of what I'm, of the point I want to make, but I don't even have time to go down and chase that rabbit. But let me just say this. This is a promise. Now, if there is a promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, why would we ever, ever tell somebody you don't have to call on the Lord to be saved? I mean, why would you do that? The Bible said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't think you have to call. No, don't say that. Okay? Don't say that. Well, well, Brother Tommy, it seems to me, though, you're creating a work here and telling people they have to call on the Lord. And, you know, look what it says there in the Bible. And that's, it's not a command. It's a promise. But again, why are we, why are we asking that? Why, why do you bring that up? This is, and they're bringing that up because of ignorance. This is an example of a foolish and unlearned question. Because, so, Again, the question you need to ask is, if he's making a promise, why would you ever tell somebody they don't have to call on the Lord for salvation? Because we want people calling on the Lord for salvation. We want people coming to Jesus Christ. But the other question we could ask is, if someone believes the gospel, why would we call their salvation into question if they don't remember calling on the Lord or the details of their call? If somebody believes on Christ, if somebody is professing Christ, if somebody, I mean, they do, they clearly understand the gospel and they believe because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, they're on their way to heaven. Why would we ever call their salvation to question? Well, I, I need you to tell me the details of your call. Did you know, I don't remember exactly what I prayed when I got saved. I do remember praying. I don't remember what I said. How, what if you didn't say all the right things? What if you said something wrong? And it's, you know, it's like, man, I wish my parents would have recorded this so I could check. Listen, I, you know, I'm not worried about what I prayed. I'm not worried about what I said because I know I believe on Christ. I know I put my faith and trust in Him. And so the thing is to call someone's salvation into question because they don't remember the details of these things, that's also dumb. Why would you do that? Why, why do we need to check up on that? Somebody comes, hey, Pastor, I'd like to get baptized. You know, I've put my faith and trust in Christ. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I don't believe there's anything I could ever do to, be, to earn my salvation. I don't believe there's anything I could ever do to lose my salvation. And uh, I want to follow him in believer's baptism. It's like, well, all right, but when did you call on the Lord? Well, I don't remember exactly. Because the thing is, too, a lot of times when it comes to people coming to the point of salvation... It was a, like, I don't believe salvation is a process, but a lot of times it was a huge process that gets people from unbelief to belief. A lot of times, you know, it was maybe several sermons they, they heard, maybe several gospel presentations, maybe a lot of reading of the Bible. There's a lot of different things, but at some, and at some point, you know, and it is, it's different for everybody. They might not remember exactly what they did. They might not remember when they prayed, how they prayed, you know, and so the, the thing is, if somebody's professing clear salvation, I'm not going to call their salvation into question if they can't give me the details of their call. I think that also is foolish because everyone's experience in how they came to Christ is going to be different. And so if somebody comes to me and demands a yes or no response to the question, can someone get saved without calling on the name of the Lord? You know, I think you have to answer a couple other questions first. First off, 
if you mean perform a vocal exercise that includes something along the lines of a center of prayer, something that involves sound waves coming from your mouth, something that involves use of the throat, then I would say no. Okay? I, I would say no. Because I, I've told the story before about a friend of mine. His wife led somebody to the Lord using sign language. The whole thing was all sign language. She even prayed in sign language. And I, and I remember, I, you know, I thought it was so cool when he told me about that. I didn't think for two seconds that she wasn't saved. But then I remember later I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, the Bible says with the mouth. And so just joking, joking, I said to him, I was like, you know what? I don't think that lady got saved. He's like, what? And I said, you know, the Bible says with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then he realized I was joking. He said, you know what, brother? I'll bet you can get some other Christians to fight about that. <laughs> I was like, probably could. <laughs> and he was right on the money. But at the same time, too, she didn't, that person didn't perform a vocal exercise, but did they call on the Lord? Hey, what, what is it they tell you, too? Like if you're in a swimming pool and you're drowning and you're underwater, you, know, you just like stick your hand up like that. You know what you're doing? You're calling for the lifeguard. How can you call? It's just your hand. It's, it's a call. You know, it, 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 that, that, that's all it is. There's a lot of ways you can do this. So the other question I have, too, is how can you claim that someone who has believed on Christ has not called on him for salvation? How could anyone who has believed on Christ claim that they have never called on him, too? Because then you'll have people, too, want to get real contentious. Well, I believe on Christ, but I never called on him. Really? You've never called on him for salvation? Because here's the truth everybody needs to get a hold of. When a person believes on Christ, there is a great deal of things that they do. I don't, I don't know if you all realize how much you do. In fact, this would be a, I, I thought about doing a whole message just on all the things that you do when you believe on Christ. And, but, and I'm not going to give you like a full exhaustive list of these things, but you're going to notice too. We're going to talk about for a minute all the things that we do when we believe on Christ. But you're going to notice, too, that these things all have something in common. So, for example, you know what I did when I got saved? I passed from death unto life. I did that. I passed from death unto life. I went from one thing to something else. I went from death to life. I did that. Also, I became a new creature. I did that. That happened to me. You know what else I did? When I, got, when I believed on Christ... I brought an offering to God. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.1, Be therefore fathers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You know what? Here's what we all have in common. All these things that we do, or we get credited for, Jesus actually did. Now, again, I passed from death unto life, but who made me alive? Jesus did. Okay? I became a new creature, but who made me a new creature? Jesus did. And it would be foolish for me, who has, or, or for me if somebody has believed on Christ, to claim none of these things have happened. It, you know, you believe you have to bring an offering to God in order to be saved? Well, let me tell you, nobody's getting to God without bringing an offering. Remember Cain and Abel? Yeah, but you know what? There's only one offering God's going to accept. That's an offering brought to him by us through our high priest, Jesus Christ. And I, and I could preach a message just on that, 
there's a lot of examples, there's a lot of proof that in the, in the Bible, there was things that the high priest did on behalf of the people. And in the New Testament, it shows too how when we trust on Christ, we get credited for those things because our high priest did them for us. So yes, I have brought an offering to, to, to God. Well, how did you do it? By believing on Christ. That was how I brought an offering to God. And so it would be foolish for you to claim I haven't brought an offering to God. You're not getting to God without an offering. Just don't bring anything from your own hands. Don't bring your own works. You know what you do? You believe on Christ. You, and when you do that, now here's the thing. When you got saved, did you realize you brought an offering to God through Jesus Christ? You know, most of us didn't realize all the things that we did when we got saved. Because what were we doing? Well, we're just trusting in Christ. Exactly. And he covers everything for us. You have to be righteous. You have to be without sin. But again, Jesus did that for us. He did that on our behalf. And we get it imputed to us. If we're credited for it, then why can't I claim it? Now, if I'm claiming it based on my merit, then I'm wrong. But if I'm claiming it based on what Jesus did for me, then I'm okay. Well, you know what else I did? When I got saved, I fled. You know, how, you know why I got eternal life? Because I ran for it. I fled to it. Hebrews 6.18 says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. You know, you know how I got saved? I ran for help. Well, how did you run for help? Was it through your running abilities? Was it through your running skills? No, here's how I did it. When I recognized the situation that I was in, you know what I did? I looked to Jesus Christ. I trusted in what he did. That was me fleeing for refuge. And I found refuge in Jesus Christ. And I'm protected from my sins. And I got there. It's like, man, I, you know, I don't know how you were able to run that far. I didn't have to run very far. You know what I had to do? I just had to look and live. I just had, I, you, know, you draw an eye to God, he draws an eye to you. Obviously, again, all these things we're talking about, who actually gets the credit for all the physical things done? Jesus Christ does. But the Bible tells us that we did these things. So I would, never, I would never tell someone who's believed on Christ, well, I need to know how fast you ran, how far you ran. No, you, you, they did it all. However far they needed to go, they got there through Jesus Christ. You know what else I did? I overcame the world. I overcame, I, I overcame the world. And it says, it says in 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is that victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So, folks, you know what? It would be wrong. Now, it would, it would be wrong for, for me, technically. I would be wrong to tell somebody, the only way you can get saved is if you overcome the world. Now, technically, I'm right. Now, I need to make sure I explain to them what you have to do to overcome the world. If I say the way you overcome the world is not being like the world, not doing any of the sins that the world does by being really good, well then, they're not going to be able to do that. But if I tell them, now here's how you can overcome the world. Trust in Christ. Isn't that what the Bible says? But he that believeth, that's how you overcome the world. So, folks, for me to try to tell a believer that they have not overcome the world, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That would be wrong. If there's anything that I have to do to be saved when I believed on Christ, 
I did it. And I'm credited for it. And if calling on the Lord is a requirement, when you believed on Christ, you did it. You called, you called on the Lord. There's, there's no way to separate those things. It's the same thing. You know what else I did when I got saved? I did the works of God. I thought salvation wasn't of works. Well, the Bible says I, did, I had to do the works of God to be saved. It says in John 6.28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. So guess what? Yeah, I, I got saved by works. Jesus' works, though. It was his works. So again, notice how all of these things that we do is all through believing on him. Now, I didn't know, when I got saved, I didn't know I did the works of God. I didn't know, if, if you just said, Tommy, have you, have you done the works of God for salvation? I'm like, I don't think so. All I did was believe on Christ. Well, guess what? Then you did the works of God. You know, that was something I, I, I learned later. You know what? You know what else I did? I drank the water of life. I ate the bread of life. How did you do that? Was it, you know, through your swallowing skills? Was it through your, you know, chewing up and swallowing skills? No, it was through believing on Christ. So do you get the point now? That when a person believes on Christ, all things that need to be done for them to be saved and to be righteous are immediately imputed to them because they believed on Christ. And so to call any of these things into question when somebody has clearly put their faith and trust in Christ is contentious, it's foolish, and it's destructive, and I think you just need to avoid it. I am not going to uh, argue with people about that. Make them give me the details of their call. I need to know what they said. I need to make sure sound waves came from their mouth because I know when Hannah prayed, she moved her lips. There was no sound, though. There was no sound. So it's like you have to at least move your lips. And mute people, they can at least move their lips. Listen, mute people can call on the Lord. They, anybody can call on the Lord. Anyone with a heart capable of belief can call on the Lord. I'm not going, so I'm not going to do, I'm not going to turn into a vocal exercise, but we should not call people like that salvation into question. It's dumb, it's foolish, it's contentious, it's unnecessary strife. And so I would never tell someone, though, that you don't have to call on the Lord for salvation. Just like I would never tell somebody, you don't have to overcome the world. But what I would do is tell people how to call on the Lord. I would tell people how to overcome for salvation. I would tell people how to drink the water of life. And you know how you do it all? Believe on Christ. Believe on Christ and do not trust in your own goodness. Trust in what he did. Because, you know, the truth is too, there's a lot of people who have made verbal calls on the Lord for salvation who are also trusting in their own works. Are those people going to heaven? Absolutely not. They called on the Lord. I mean, the Bible says, who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I heard that person from their mouth call on the Lord. Yeah, but in their heart, they were trusting in their own works. They were trusting in their own goodness. They're not saved. Because you know why? They weren't really calling on the Lord. Because while sound waves came from their mouth, while they even said the right thing, their heart was somewhere else. Their heart was trusting in their own works. I mean, their hearts might be thinking, man, you know, I gave such a good, eloquent prayer. Surely the Lord is going to accept me because of that. That other person's prayer wasn't very good. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Psh, 
Mine was way more eloquent. I had these and nows in it, a lot of biblical words. Listen, if you think you're getting saved because you gave God an impressive prayer, you're not saved. Okay? God's, God's not impressed by anything that we do. Only faith. So, again, when people bring that question up, just avoid it. It just causes contention and confusion. And, in a, and a lot of these are kind of related when people start fighting about dumb stuff. And, that, and the other one that comes up all the time, too, is can someone get saved without a soul winner? And this is an example of just a foolish and unlearned question. And proof of this is the fact in order to prove their point, they will go to proofs that actually distract from the real issue. And this question is an example of something motivated by contention. And when people go to try to prove something and they are actually dodging the issue, it's usually a good sign they're just trying to cause problems. Because ask, asking a question, can someone get saved without a soul winner? It's like ask, well, you know, let's have a debate about whether or not we can, a person can breathe without oxygen. Do we really need to even talk about that? You know, I think we've all accepted the fact that, you know, you have to have oxygen to breathe. But now let me ask you, I need you to prove to me there's oxygen. Show me. Show me the oxygen. You can't see it, can you? But did you know the fact that we're breathing is proof that there's oxygen in the room? Anybody want to debate me on that right now? <laughs> And I know some debaters that are so good, they could probably win that debate. All right? But, you know, that there, there is an oxygen in the room. But no, there's oxygen in the room. We all know this because we're breathing. But again, you know, if I want to be a moron of the century, I could have an argument about this. But the real question people are trying to ask when they bring this up is whether or not someone can get saved without a physical soul winner present at the time of salvation or at least they had to have one there before at some point. And this question is motivated by another equally foolish question of what, whether or not somebody can get saved from the reading of a gospel tract or the reading of a Bible. That's where, this, that's where this comes from. And because some have foolishly declared gospel tracts are worthless, it's created the need to go to this other question. Well, can somebody get saved without a sword? Like, that, is a, that, that literally is a dumb question. I'm going to show you why that's a dumb question here. In just a little bit. These, these things were all born of contention. And in Acts 8.30, this is the, the proof text people like to go to. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep, lamb, a sheep to the slaughter and as, like a lamb dumb before a shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who should declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophetess? Of, him, of himself or of another man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, first thing you've got to understand, of course no one's going to get saved just from reading Isaiah 53 without having Jesus Christ preach to them. But literally, they'll go to that part, how can I, some man guide me? And now, no Bible can be understood without a soul winner. Okay, so a dark passage from the Old Testament, when certain things were hidden, because somebody can't understand that, now we can't even understand New Testament Scripture revealing what was hidden in the Old Testament, written by a soul winner, explaining 
how the gospel, literally explaining the gospel, literally testifying the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. These guys are literally testifying the gospel. And so, again, what, um, when, you, when you talk about this kind of thing, you know, and while I would agree that you do have to have a soul winner, okay, obviously I believe yeah, there, there has to be a soul winner for somebody to be saved. And you can use a lot of Bible to prove that. I believe you have to have the Bible to be saved. I, I, I do believe that. But here's the thing about that. This is why this is foolish. Because again, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are all soul winners. All of them are. Their words are a testimony of a man of the work of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the same people who want to foolishly contend with you over this, they'll claim, too, you can get somebody saved through a YouTube video. But that's because you, get, you can hear the gospel. What if I only read the subtitles? What if I have it on mute? Can I get saved from a soul winner? Even your favorite soul winner. Watching his video, if it's on mute, but I read the subtitles. That's a good one. You know, I mean... You know. I thought it was faith come with my hearing and hearing by the word of God, not reading. And, you know, how can I accept some you got me? Listen, you could get saved if you watch a gospel presentation reading the subtitles of a YouTube video. So if I can get saved, if, if you can get saved that way, why can't I get saved if I read it on a piece of paper? You realize this does not make any logical sense. And I get it. Some people are lazy and they don't want to be confrontational and they just want to hand out a tract. That is not as good as a spirit-filled individual preaching the gospel to them, answering questions, dealing with their hang-ups. Obviously, that's not as effective, but it's not completely worthless. It's not completely, it's not completely worthless. And so, whenever you're standing before a professing believer in Christ, then just understand, if, if they are a believer in Christ... They did not come to faith in Christ just like one day they just woke up and were like, I believe on Christ and I know who he is. I, I know about the death, burial, and resurrection. You know how we know about the death, burial, and resurrection? Through the word of God. If somebody knows Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, you know how they found that out? Through the Bible. That's, this is the origin of the story is the word of God. How can you say someone who is believing on Christ didn't have the scriptures? How can you say they didn't have a soul winner? How can you say that this isn't full of testimonies of soul winners? So again, they'll, they'll get up there and they will rightfully say, you have to have a soul winner. You have to have the Bible. But they're doing it in a contentious way, trying to prove somebody who's professing faith in Christ didn't have a soul winner, didn't have the Word of God. Obviously, if somebody knows about Jesus Christ, somebody told them. The Word of God was used you can't you can't separate those two but what they'll do too again and i am all for being hardcore against other bible versions and things but folks are you 100 percent sure when you got saved somebody used the king james most people didn't pay attention how many of you are aware of the king james debate when you got saved and i know my parents used the king james bible just because that's what they've always used but i didn't check and a lot of people don't check and if somebody is believing on Christ, if somebody is professing the right gospel, there is no doubt that the word of God got to them. And, and, and it, 
It, that happens through people. Well, it happens through people. They said they got saved just from reading their Bible. Somebody printed that Bible. That Bible didn't just fall out of the sky. Somebody wrote it down. Somebody copied it. Somebody printed it. Somebody distributed it. And so, again, when somebody's saved, it's impossible to take the works of soul winners out. It's impossible to take the work that man does out of that. So why are we even talking about it? Why are we even bringing that up? This is, this is dumb. It's a dumb argument because you don't like gospel tracts. You think other people are lazy, so you've got to take away everything from them. No, just say you're better than them, all right? Don't make, it, don't make up all these new rules and then turn salvation into like this process where it's like an you know, incantation where you have to have all these certain things in place. You have to have a soul winner, a King James Bible. They all have to be physically present at the same time. You know, sound waves must come from one's mouth at that point. Otherwise, they didn't really get saved. If any of those things were not, they might have all, all that stuff might have happened at different times. So these are just dumb, foolish, contentious things. You know, the, can somebody get saved without a KJV? And then the verse, being born again of corruptible, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The NIV is corruptible seed. No, and I preached about this before, I'm not going to preach again. The corruptible seed is the flesh. That's what the corruptible seed is. It's the flesh. And he said that too, especially because you had a lot of Jews that thought because they were Jews, they were going to heaven. No, you need to be born again. Being born of corruptible seed, like Jewish flesh and Gentile flesh, it's all corruptible and you're all going to die you know how you're born again? By the Word of God. So guess what? If somebody is born again, you know how I know they got born again? By the Word of God. You don't get saved without the Word of God, just like you don't breathe without oxygen. So why are we going to question it? When, when, the, when the evidence is there, when the person is professing faith in Christ, they did not just make that up out of their own head. Somebody got to them with the Bible. The Bible got to them somehow. I don't have to know the details of it. I don't, and they don't have to know the details. They're not going to remember all the details of it. You know, there's absolutely no way. They want to argue about, you know, can a lost person get somebody saved? You know, and then it's like, you know, because what if some, what if the person that leads you to the Lord turns out later to be a reprobate? You know, what if that person that led you to the Lord later preached modalism or something like that? You know, what, I mean, what in the world are you going to do? Listen, if you're saved, the word of God got to you. A soul winner got to you. And thankfully, whenever that you know reprobate that didn't know they were reprobate was showing you the Bible, you know what? It was the words of Matthew that were speaking. It was the words of Matthew. Or it was the words of Paul that you heard. And that's what got you saved. People always want to argue too. Did Judas get anybody saved? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't just the work of Judas. You know what? They always went out two by two. There was another guy there too involved that was a soul winner. So I guarantee you, Judas's team got a lot of people saved. I mean, technically, Judas was on Jesus' team. You know, he was a devil. And as a team, they're getting people say, it's never really just one thing. Of course, do I think anything good came from Judas by himself? Of course not. But Jesus did allow Judas in his ministry. Now, did that ministry get something done? You better believe it got something done. These are dumb, contentious arguments. They're, that are just meant to uh, just cause division and it is. It's a, it's a lot of foolishness. Okay? Do I think, you know, Judas, uh, you know, said, I, I, I do think the ministry he was involved with got people saved. But I don't think he was this great soul winner or something like that. I don't know what he did. The Bible doesn't even tell us. But, but either way, um, you know, these are just dumb things to argue about. So, 
Uh, you know, and the thing is, too, when it comes to the KJV thing, you know, people did get saved. There were saved people before KJV got written. English people. There were, I believe there was English people that got saved from reading their Geneva Bible. I believe that. And you know what? There's people getting saved in other languages who do not have King James equivalent Bibles. Well, they've got to at least hear the words of the King James at some point. What if they can't understand them? It still has power. No, it, does, it doesn't do any good if they can't if they can't hear it. You know, Paul said if he's speaking in an unknown tongue, he's just speaking to other people. He's speaking into the air. So I understand these are just these are dumb dumb things that people fight about. And when you do, if you if you hear people arguing, I get it. It's entertaining sometimes watching a good fight. And when I say a good fight, I should say it's it's entertaining watching a fight. I don't know if I call it a good fight. Just watch it. Don't get involved in it. It's, it's really a lot of foolishness. So, uh, another question I get a lot, and I, I, just, I get mad when I get questions like these, but people, are people who are wrong on eschatology saved? And it's like, Pastor Tommy, I, mean, I heard that guy preach on the pre-trib rapture today. Do you even think he's saved? I got another question. Can you run fast to me because I'm about to chase you down and beat you up. All right? that, that's a stupid question. But 1 Corinthians 15:12 says, now if Christ be reached the preach that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then as our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Listen, when you call someone's salvation into question because of a subject unrelated to salvation, then just understand that it is nothing more than a common contentious tactic to cancel a, a theological opponent. Because again, of course, everything's related, right? But in the Bible, the resurrection was what you could not call into question. Pre-tribbers, mid-tribbers, post-tribbers, even some uh, post-millennialists, maybe even some amillennialists, I don't know, believe in a resurrection of the dead. That's what you have to believe in. Paul said if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, talking about our resurrection, then is Christ not risen, your faith is vain. If we want to talk about that, that's legitimate. That's what they were fighting about in Paul's day. In Paul's day, the big things he fought about was a, whether or not there would be a literal resurrection and return of Christ. And the other thing they talked about with end times they warned people about was not accepting anyone else who claims to be Jesus Christ. Those were the things. So here's the thing. If somebody denies a resurrection, then let's call their salvation to question. If someone claims somebody on earth is Jesus Christ, for sure, okay? And I'm not even going to give examples. I don't care who it is, whether it be Donald Trump, whether it be me, whether it be Vladimir Zelensky, whether it be some Fruit Loop in New York, I don't care. Anybody says they are Christ, and if, or if anybody even claims that that person is Christ, not saved. Those are the things we were warned about. When, the Antichrist. We were warned about those things. When it comes to the details of how these things are going to play out, we don't really know for sure, and people can disagree on these things. And when you and when you bring that up, do you even think they're saved? You know what you're doing? You're trying to cancel a theological opponent because you don't know how to respond to their arguments. I just had it this week where a pastor, and he, he, he's a decent guy. I, I, I get along with him most of the time. But he got mad about something I tweeted that was uh, post-tribbish. I don't remember what I said exactly. I said something showing uh, inconsistencies in the imminency argument. And then he left a response. 
It's a good thing that you can be wrong on the rapture and still walk the streets of gold one day. You know, and so, you know, it's, he's basically acknowledging, I'm still saved, and it's a good thing. God will let you be wrong. Because, you know, the truth is, he probably would have loved to cancel my salvation. You know, since he, he couldn't debunk the truth bomb I dropped, you know, he just, it's lucky you're saved. But, you know, and thankfully it didn't go that far. But why, do, why are we even going to talk about my salvation right now? I thought we were talking about eschatology. I thought we were talking about how end times play out. You know why? Because when somebody disagrees with you, especially, too, if you're a pastor and you've taken a position, it really helps when you can tell all the people that you're trying to influence, that other person's not even saved. Okay, this has nothing to do with salvation. I want to know who's right about this issue. Well, who cares? They're not even saved. Don't listen to them. Listen to everything I say. I'm saved. I'm right on the gospel. Listen to everything I say. Yeah, but what you're saying sounds really dumb. Doesn't matter. At least I'm saved. You know, I'd rather be I'd rather be wrong on this and you know and right on the you know you know on these other areas be right on the gospel. They might be right about these other things, but they're wrong on the gospel. So who cares? They're going to hell. See, you see how those are unrelated things. Most of the time, when we're asking, is this person even saved? It's because we're trying to cancel a theological opponent when we're actually trying to talk about something that we need to talk about. We need to just admit there are some subjects that are not related to salvation. They're separate issues. Let's keep them in their place. So, um, you know, and then everybody to make it a salvation issue, they always just go, he does love God, heareth God's words. I'm not even going to go into that. I don't have time. I don't have time to get to all these dumb questions. But another one too, we get asked this one a lot because we're eternal security people. Can a person be saved and go kill a bunch of people and still go to heaven? He said, oh, is that a dumb question? This is, this is an unlearned question. This is a foolish and unlearned question. Can a person be saved and still go kill a bunch of people and still go to heaven? Well, the Bible does say in 1 John, this is talking to saved people. In verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he's able to cleanse us. Hey, is shooting up, a bunch, shooting up an orphanage unrighteousness? Well, of course it is. So I, I guess I can go do that and confess it and get cleansed, right? And boy, doesn't that sound terrible? See, these are examples of these of like gotcha questions trying to demonize eternal security or to prove you also believe some kind of work salvation or perseverance of the saints. Oh, because then you're saying if a person truly is saved, then there's some sins they won't ever commit. You know, that, that's what they try to do. But here's what you do. You got to turn, whenever questions like that come up, you got to turn around and ask them, like, can a person be saved and then go say a cuss word and still go to heaven? So, I need a list of the sins where we can keep our salvation and the ones where we can lose our salvation. I mean, because isn't all unrighteousness bad to God? Didn't Jesus have to die for all sins? So if we're going to, if we're going to, if asking if somebody can go kill a bunch of people, you know, and still go to heaven is a legitimate question, then if I want to ask, can somebody say a cuss word and still go to heaven is also a legitimate question. So the real question that we should be asking is what happens when a saved person sins? That's what we should ask. 
The Bible's very clear about salvation being eternal. The question we need to ask is what happens when a saved person sins? And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, we're not going to go into it, but for whom Lord loveth, he chases the scourge that every son may receive it. God will deal with you as a child of God if you are saved. So the thing is, how, how God is going to deal with his children, that's up to him. Y'all understand that? Because here's what we need to understand too. Anybody can profess to be saved. But again, if somebody, I don't believe that God is going to let his children just completely run his name through the mud and just, you know, I don't believe he's going to let us get away with things. And the other thing we're doing too, we're, fa- we're not factoring in the Holy Spirit. You know, the question is, you know, is the Holy Spirit going to allow you to do something like that? You know, I'm not trying to speak for God. I don't know what God's going to do, but I, I, I hope, I hope God would kill me. I hope before I, he would let me go shoot up an orphanage. I hope I would get hit by a bus, a lightning bolt, brain aneurysm, whatever. You know, and the thing is, God's going to deal with his children. It's not up to me to figure all these things out because there always will be people who profess to be Christians and who cause the way of truth to be evil spoken of. Those are real people that are out there. So we are okay if we see somebody just doing horrific acts to think that person's probably not saved. And it doesn't mean we believe in work salvation. It's just, I'm pretty sure my Heavenly Father would never let me get away with that. Yeah, and so these are, these are just kind of things that you, you need to avoid. Um, you know, they, and then uh, the other thing, too, that's kind of related to that, you know, they'll ask, too, well, is there any such thing as a saved homosexual? And you know, we were talking about that before church, and you know, I saw a saved homosexual one time. He was you know, riding a unicorn, uh, hunting Sasquatch with a lightsaber. And, uh, you know, he said, how do you get a lightsaber? He bought it uh, from the money he got from his pot of gold after catching a leprechaun. You know, that, that's, you know, so that really happened. <laughs> but but listen, if, if we're asking if God can save someone who has committed a homosexual act, I would say yes. But this question is a clear example of a foolish and unlearned question because many people who are asking are of the mindset that some are born homos. And so that's so the thing is, they want you to say no too, and then making it like you are against taking the gospel to a race of people when God said every creature. Isn't that what they're doing by that? So again, they have bought into a false narrative already in complete and utter dangerous ignorance. So the thing is, if I just answer that with a yes or no question, then I'm going to actually mislead them because they are already so misguided. I can't really answer that question without going and dealing with several other things first. Otherwise, they're not going to come to a proper conclusion because it does say in Acts 10.15, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, call that, call that, or that call not thou common. Here's, here's what you have to understand. When God does a work in someone's life, no man can undo what God did. Okay, nobody, so just like we don't have the right, if God has cleansed someone of their sin, to call them by that sin, okay, you know, they're not, that, that's not what they are. Yeah, murderers don't go to heaven. But the truth is, if God cleanses from it, then they do. So the truth is, that goes, when it comes to not being able to undo the work that God does, that also goes for those who have been given over to a reprobate mind. 
And we're not going to go through all of Romans 1, but in Romans 1, it says about these people, God also gave them up unto uncleanness. It says God gave them up unto vile affections. It says God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So if God does something to someone, what makes us think we can change that? And, and think about this too. Because people often will foolishly go to Romans 1, 2, like when they're mad at somebody, they don't like a preacher, they want to cause doubt on that person's salvation. They'll go start reading through the list of sins in Romans 1, and then they try to like accuse people of one of those sins, and therefore they could possibly be a reprobate, is, is kind of what they do. And they, they read it like it's a list of sins that if you do any of them, you're probably a reprobate. But that's also foolish and ignorant. Because many of the sins mentioned in Romans 1, a saved person is capable of doing those things. And saved people sometimes do those things. But here's the difference. When your life is given over to those things, that's when we know there's a real problem. When someone finds their identity in an abomination like homosexuality or even any of those other sins, you know, it's safe to assume that person is long gone. So, for, ex for example... If I lose my temper and I punch somebody and they fall and crack their head on something and die, I'm a murderer, aren't I? You know, technically, I'm a murderer. I deserve the death penalty because of what I did. And so the thing is, too, though, but, you know, and I can be cleansed of that. But if, my, if, if who I am, what I identify with is killing people, that's just what I do. That's who I am. You have to accept me. This is my character. I like to kill people. Something's wrong with you. Something's broken in your head. Something's broken in your mind. And again, people do. There's often things that people give themselves over to, and there's, or, or they, that they, you know, they fall into temptation and sin. And there's a lot of things too. Christians, even Christians, when they do them, they feel shame and remorse for those things. But when you find your identity in those things, so again. I think there's people that have committed some homosexual acts that can be saved. Sometimes people get drunk. Sometimes they're on drugs. Sometimes they experiment. And that's that's you know bad. You know they're you know they're guilty of those sins. But at the same time, there's a big difference between that and someone whose identity is in those things. There there's a real difference. And just like we would all acknowledge, something is broken in this person's mind when they identify themselves with killing people and the same thing too if your identity is based around perversion something's very wrong with you when you have to have a flag when you go around wearing something some kind of thing showing i identify with this horrifying abomination something is very broken with that person something devastating has happened to them and what happened to them was done by God who gave them over to a reprobate mind. Now, the problem is a lot of people do not understand this. They think, no, it's just a race. It's something they were born with. Therefore, you're violating the take the gospel to every creature thing. And so it's one of those things when people ask a lot of these questions, and I get asked a lot on Twitter and stuff too. It is. It's, 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 just, it's, it's kind of a gotcha thing to try to show inconsistencies and you're once saved, always saved. And again, too, all these things... They don't factor in the Holy Ghost. I just I do not believe that there's there's something that the Holy Ghost will will never let us do. They they won't they will not let that happen to us. But people leave all that stuff out. And so 
Uh, when people ask these questions, it shows just a, a high level of ignorance on a lot of things. And so, especially if you, when you're knocking doors and people ask these things, that's, you just, you gotta change the subject. Just change the subject. I don't want to talk about that. You know, but it's okay. But last question, I've got, I've, I've got more. I, I figured I'd just do all the ones I have time for. I, I wanted to cover this last one because this, this is a question we hear a lot. This is a dumb question. And this is a, this is a, a dumb, unlearned question. And that question is, and, and it's kind of two questions, and they'll ask it this way a lot of times too to kind of trick, trip you up. But it's, do you have to repent of your sins to be saved, or is repentance required for salvation? So how's that a dumb question? People ask that, that all the time. Well, here's the thing. You can't just answer that question with a yes or no answer. We've got to make sure we're on the same page with the definition of our words. And folks, I'm, I'm tired. I, I get these people all the time on Facebook. I always unfriend them or unfollow them that are constantly like trying to get in fights with people about the repentance thing. And you watch the arguments that happen sometimes. It's like, dude, these two people are not on the same page. But they are calling each other heretics, calling each other unsaved. But what it all comes down to is this is actually a dumb question. And that's why we're striving right now. That's why we're having contention right now, because this is a foolish and unlearned question. And so we've got to make before we can even answer something like that, we've got to make sure we're on the same page in certain areas. Because questions like this are often asked so the other person can straw man you into either turning the grace of God into lasciviousness or teaching a work salvation. And we can't always be too quick to just give a simple yes or no answer because if the people that we're talking to don't understand where we're coming from, then we're going to confuse them. And contentious people, they don't care if people get the wrong idea. They're just looking for somebody to condemn to hell. They're looking, to somebody, they're looking for somebody to nail. We've got under, we, we need to be understanding of the fact that many have been very poorly taught and there are a lot of, good thing, a lot of things good people misunderstand and there is a very specific way we need to handle things like this. Because I'm not really interested in arguing with a brother over repentance. But I would love to help strengthen a brother on this subject. And that's why, too, in 2 Timothy 2, where we started, after he says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, it says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves if God preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I believe right here, this, this subject of repentance is one where we do need to answer this with meekness and in instructing these people because they are opposing themselves. When somebody says you have to repent of your sins to be saved and salvation is not of works, they're opposing themselves, technically. They're opposing themselves. But you know how I'm not going to fix them? You raging heretic, you unsaved devil, you work salvationist, you're going to split hell wide open. I know I got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I'm pretty sure I'm saying, you know, let's, I, I, let me tell you, I have helped a lot more people by using this method of just being gentle in this area. And I do. That's where we have to say, hey, what do you think repentance of sins means? Do you think you, do you think you have to quit sinning to be saved? Well, no. I mean, I you know, I still have. You know, almost everybody I calmly ask that to, they will admit. Well, of course not. They, they almost all say that. You know, and it's like, okay. Well, do you realize that's kind of what you're saying? To repent, you know, it means to turn from. You know, and you're telling people they have to quit sinning in order to be saved. None of us have ever stopped sinning. 
Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I just think you have to change your mind about sin. Well, what do you mean? Do you mean you need to acknowledge that you're a sinner? I agree you have to acknowledge that you're sinful. You know, and that you need to trust in Christ's righteousness instead of your own. Most people, when you have a calm talk to them about it, now some don't. The real bad guys are out there. The real bad guys are out there, but most people are just opposing themselves. And I do believe the repentance issue is a great example of what we need to handle with meekness. And I think too many people have tried helping people by foaming at the mouth and calling them a heretic. And it hasn't helped. It really hasn't helped. And so, we need to understand some questions reveal the fact that a person asking them, you know, they do not understand other things. And before you can do multiplication, you have to be able to add and subtract. And so sometimes, people, the questions that are coming up, it just, it, it, it's revealing a whole host of issues. And you've got to take care of those things first. So before I answer the question, do you have to repent? Because I do believe repentance is required for salvation. I don't, I don't believe anybody just all of a sudden, boom, is saved one day. No, there had to be repentance. But let's define, let's define that. So you've got to sometimes back up and talk about other things. And so um, you know, th- there's a lot more of these things. But hopefully this kind of gives you just an idea of learning to, one, Know when people are just trying to cause division and contention. When that happens, just avoid those people. Avoid those questions. Don't try to respond to it. Don't don't try to straighten them out on it. And if you really do feel the need to answer a fool, you know, in his folly, just make sure you get to the real heart of the issue. At the end of the day, if you are a contentious person, you will not have any trouble finding people to get in fights with about these issues. Because there are a lot of false teachers out there. There's a lot of misinformed. There's a lot of ignorant people out there. But if you're looking to actually make a difference and change people's minds, you've got to have wisdom. And if you're going to be a servant of the Lord who doesn't strive but is gentle, you're going to need to learn when to avoid certain questions. doesn't mean you're scared. It just means you're wise. Okay? I'm not scared to answer questions, but I, I, my problem is I don't always have the wisdom that I need to have to know which questions to answer. Because I'm ready to answer anything. Bring it on. But I've, I have, you know, I've left a lot of people confused before. Because I didn't recognize where they were coming from when they asked that question. And you've got to, if you're going to help people, you've got to do that. If I'm going to win an argument, if I'm going to get a good thread that I can screenshot and share with all of you that are on the same page as me, you know, I might be able to do that. And they're like, man, look how big of a heretic this person is. But I'm not going to help them, and we do want to help people. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help. I pray it help us to have wisdom in these areas. Lord, we do want to make a difference. We do want to contend for the faith, but we don't want to be contentious. We don't want to have unnecessary strife. And so I pray you'll help us to uh, have the wisdom, the humility to be able to avoid foolish and unlearned questions when we hear them and that we'll uh, just stay focused on uh, things that are true and honest and we'll be able to be a good example and help people. In your name we pray. Amen.